Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Young Ambiguous Podcast. Today in the studio, which is my dining room, so shout out Winston if he makes some noise. Um, I have a new friend, but he's a good friend, Alberto Suriel. What up, what up, what up? Did I say that right? Yeah. yeah. Suriel? Close enough. No, that, that's it. You got it right. Dope. <laughs> I got it first try. First try. Um, and, and we're just going to talk. Um, I met him almost a year ago more yeah. than a year ago yeah. um, 17 or something he's uh, the pastor of a church locally that uh, my friends my really good friends go to um and so i met him through them and just had a lot of really cool interesting conversations so i thought he would be great to have on here he's really smart he does a whole <laughs> bunch of different things uh besides being a pastor he's also a web developer yeah he's a coffee entrepreneur connoisseur <laughs> he's a husband and a father but not like the pastor husband father twitter world. well let's just go with that sure why not no i don't you don't <laughs> want to be lumped in with those guys um but those are all things i know you do but how would you maybe introduce yourself that's a good question um i honestly not to be like that weirdo want to be an outlier outlier kind of thing but i don't i generally don't talk about what i do unless someone asks so generally so i just put it on blast and yeah it, it, and that's <laughs> cool i mean it's going to be a topic of conversation but i say that to say more like it's, how do you package something and you spend more time trying to kind of go yeah. it's kind of like this and, it, and people are left confused so it's sometimes it's just like i pick one job oh i'm in it yeah and then i yeah. just go with that one and then usually people figure out the other stuff the, f- the fun memes are the ones where it's like show me what you do in one gif yeah it's like yeah what? Okay, that's not possible, but yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, so uh, I know a lot of the ways that we interact actually is either just seeing each other in passing and like saying, hey, what's up? And then a lot of times we're on social media, you know, sending each other memes or, or <laughs> commenting on memes that are posted. And so that's the thing that I saw you even recently talking about is kind of your philosophy, I would say, on how memes are kind of a new advanced form of um, communication. And so I want you to kind of flesh that out, but I have a rebuttal to that because I think it's actually a regression. Sure, go for it. Yeah, Um, so it's interesting. So I spent the last year kind of reading a lot about sort of Jungian thought and one of the big, uh, like I I got into this book, KWML, that stands for King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, which was written by these two guys that are uh, these psychologists that have researched sort of the idea of archetypes and people's ability to relate to pictures. And so the idea that kind of they present in the books is that um, your brain, the way it's wired, um, you respond more effectively to images, which is why when we watch a film, we cry, Hmm. right? Even though we know it's fake, it's not real. We yeah. know exactly what the director's trying to do. Like, it's all yeah. staged out for us, yet we still have the same reaction at the end of the film, right? I'm watching Get Out. <laughs> I know it's not real. Yeah. But I have PTSD from dating my wife and dealing with her dad, and I'm standing behind the couch pacing, yelling wow. at the TV, right? Like, Is so he a we, brain surgeon? Huh? Because I would just <laughs> no, make it no, too no, real. No, no, <laughs> But, and so it, it really brought, kind of like those studies bring about the idea that images really do relate 
ideas yeah. in a way that words str- we struggle with words, mm. which is why we use so many of it to try to describe something where it's funny. You put up a picture. I can just describe one and everyone can picture it in their minds. Yeah. And then we can think of a response to something based on those images. And so suddenly you challenge the idea of hieroglyphics, right? That it could be read in ideas. And so what's great about images or, or anything, right? Like the study of art or you can see it in uh, comics. Yeah. Where it's like one picture relays a wealth of information without actually having to say anything. So I, I think meme or gif culture has kind of developed into I can literally have a conversation with my friends just responding yeah. to with that. And people would know what I'm referring to, what I'm saying, and what's sarcastic, what isn't. Yeah. And that's that's what's crazy to me is that I think it's a regression because you mentioned hieroglyphics. That's what communication yeah. used to be, or at least written communication used to be. Yeah. And now we feel more advanced, you know, typing out on our little QWERTY keyboards on our phones, like typing out full sentences and all these things that, especially in English, barely make sense in the own in its own language rules. Whereas memes kind of transcend culture, you know what I mean? Like they can be easily translated because they usually have little to no words on them. Yeah. And. One of the big things is that what you just said is usually, um, I would say 99% of the time, or maybe even 100% of the time, depending on who is sending you the meme, you know whether to take it sarcastic or or not. And the thing with memes is a lot of times they have both... um, Dual meaning kind of thing? They have both meanings, and it's usually the extremes. It's like you really hate every kind of individual that's pictured here or yeah. you really are sarcastically saying look at what people think of the people right. I actually agree with right and it's funny that it's only determined by the sender yeah you know what I mean so if that meme just showed up somewhere you wouldn't even you didn't know the person yeah. who had that meme in their house or whatever you wouldn't know the context in which like do they believe this or not it's almost like the the ultimate form of biological encryption so you can say something to someone <laughs> without it actually being said. Yes. So then someone looking on the outside is like, what's that supposed to mean? You could be like, nothing. Well, it's <laughs> like, one of the two. It's just a joke. Yeah. They know one of the two. It's either a joke or it's not. <laughs> yeah. Um, terrorists, yeah. please don't start using memes because that would just ruin it. <laughs> but um, no, that's, that's an interesting thing because I feel like memes are a huge subculture that is no longer sub anymore. And it's right. just becoming part of culture. And everybody uses them. Everybody has right. their own flavor and genre that they like. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a it's an interesting thing because I, you know, thinking back to even like the church context, yeah. like the church is like not even close to understanding how to use social yeah. media versus communicating through those channels, through the memes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of like this... Uh I mean, I think it's fascinating that you see how communication has progressed, right? You start with the Gutenberg Press, and which is, realistically speaking, the primary reason why the Protestant Reformation was as popular as it was. Um, they were able to suddenly spread information uh, to the point where it didn't matter if you killed the speaker because now it's all in print, like it's out there, yeah. right? And so you see the, uh, a mass growth of information and direction, that kind of thing. And prior to that, you know, when you think of the Library of Alexandria, they would copy information every time a ship would come into the harbor. And Mm. you couldn't press it. You would actually literally have to have a scribe 
copy what was there and you would get a copy and they would keep the original and so information was spread very slowly yeah and then so the in, in contrast the gutenberg press now is sending information pretty rapidly then we get uh, uh ships traveling further and further then we get f- you know the advent of uh communicate telecommunication and then we get the invention of the internet yeah it's when you think about it revolutionized uh more than just sort of um talking to one another but someone in the middle of nowhere could actually purchase something that you and i could where for a long time they just couldn't access that and then now we develop social media where it allows us to connect i mean once a month i have a um, uh, we use Zoom. We have this like video chat call, and we talk to people in three time zones in the U.S. and then two international time zones at the same time. We all hop on, so wow. everyone has to translate the time to yeah, where they yeah, are. Yeah. And so we have to, it, we have to specify Eastern Mountain, and then everyone <laughs> kind of Google's it. Um, but suddenly you've got communication moving so rapidly, and then what do we decide to do with it? Yeah, let's expedite it by using pictures. Yeah. Now that you can finally say something, we're going, well, maybe typing is too slow. Maybe just the picture. And then suddenly we do that, right? And then now we're interpreting art. Like yeah. we're interpreting like ideas or we're interpreting um, – I have a friend of mine who – That's ha- interesting, yeah. Yeah, so suddenly it's like it, it's interesting what might be regression or – taking a step back and re-envisioning the way we communicate because all of a sudden we're using pictures. Um, yeah. We're more expressive culture. Like we speak with our faces now, right? Especially yeah. with sarcasm as popular as it is, you have to, because I remember uh, you know, how many times <laughs> you're looking at someone like, are you being sarcastic? Like, is yeah. he kidding? Like I can't tell. Which is you funny know? because the best people at sarcasm are the ones where you really can't tell. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know. And you're yeah. like, wow. And they're just trolling you the whole time. I have no clue. Yeah. What this guy is actually saying or what this girl is actually saying. Like it's, yeah. it's intense. Yeah. So with that, like the internet has obviously changed things and we're receiving information much more rapidly. And, you know, I don't know the actual stat, but we're, we get more information than most people back in the day. Fast enough. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) In the 1920s, right? They read the newspaper every morning and they still don't have in their lifetime as much information about the world as we get in, I think it's like a couple of days, if not couple of hours or something like that yeah um and then the stats on how many ads you see per hour or per day is like in the thousands you don't even realize it anymore commercials yeah um like we are the commercials now you know like when people make fun of like a mcdonald's tattoo on somebody you know oh this guy got paid ten ten thousand dollars to get a mcdonald's tattoo on his face everybody makes fun of him but it's like he got ten thousand dollars we don't get any money and we're ads all the time yeah. Um, I just think it's so interesting the way that has shaped society as a whole, not even just like smaller communities or church communities, but the entire world has been shaped, not just by the internet, but by social media. Sure. And it's like, when you think about how scary it is, because a lot of this power yeah. is wrapped up in Facebook, YouTube, which is part of Google and um, Twitter. Yeah. And I didn't mention Instagram because technically that's a part of Facebook, which yeah. I'm surprised to know that a l- there's a lot of people who don't know that yeah. those yeah, companies yeah. um, are one in the I same. Think so with Snapchat, maybe? No, Snapchat is still independent. Okay. They lost a lot of value, so they're not going to sell yeah. in, until they get that value back. Yeah. But um, I would say f- Snapchat has more influenced the other social medias more than they've influenced right. society, maybe. Yeah. 
So like in, in your mind, what are some big shifts that have happened in society because of social media? Oh, I mean, so you'll notice my language kind of speaks to a lot of this for anyone who's listening. Uh, I'm an Enneagram eight, right? A Myersburg ENFJ. So I say that so people can judge me, right? So for Enneagram eights, if anyone's familiar with it, like we tend to see uh, uh, power displacement pretty mm. easily. Like those are the type of people that can like walk into a room and kind of tell where things lie and kind of where they're falling. One of the big things I notice about social media and specifically like you can see it play out more powerfully in SoundCloud um, and in Instagram, but it is, it's a displacement of power. All of a sudden, anyone can have a voice. It's the number one reason why we hate social media is because it now that everyone has access to it, everyone feels like they have a right to say something. And so we all now fight on social media because everybody's been given the microphone. Mm. And so, and then we develop echo chambers, right? So yeah. now you only talk to the people that agree with you. And so it's affected society because it's displaced power from people who own TV networks and from people yeah. who own you know, who have money and modes of communication. Yeah. yeah, And it's given it to everybody. And then, um, and then that power is now redistributed among those who can develop a following. So now you've got YouTube culture, which anyone can film a video or start a podcast. And if you gain enough of a following, you develop a sense of legitimacy. I mean, think about it like a guy, I mean, I can go on my, on my phone at any point and look up any of the people that I follow on Instagram, on YouTube, and you had brought up the church previously and those people influence and expose their message uh, more often and at a greater effectiveness than the average church pastor, by far. Yeah, by far. Like, well, there's there's dudes on there, right? Dude, perfect. Yeah, I. Sad to admit, I watched almost all of their videos. I, yeah. I don't know why. They're fu- They're not yeah. like hilarious. They're not like yeah. amazing. They're just like I watched them. I yeah. don't know why. But they have thirty million subscribers. Yeah, like. I don't think there's churches that big yeah. in the States. Well, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but like yeah, I mean, there's maybe associations of churches and, and denominations that are that big. Yeah. I think is the SBC, man, I should probably know these stats. I'm going to Google it. How big the um, Southern Baptist convention is. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't think they're that big as a group, but this, you know, group of five guys, one, two, three, four, five, five guys who make YouTube videos about trick shots, you know, have a legitimate following. Like these people are subscribed and will get a notification of some form yeah. that there's a new video posted once a week. Yeah. Whereas pastors are posting videos and audio and podcasts and they're not reaching right. that many people. Boom. Yeah, you know? and, and, and that's largely due to the fact that the church has perfected the ability to alienate itself from the culture that it's that it's in. So you're really just talking to the same group of people. It's yeah. like you really think about it like the church more functions like fundamentally like a community out in the middle of nowhere. We just kind of talk to each other over and over where even a guy like Philip DeFranco, which we were talking yeah. about yesterday, has 6,300,000 followers and he puts out a video every other day. His yeah, you his know? latest video had like 1.2 million views and it's right. a week old. Whereas, yeah. okay, so numbers right here off the SBC site. It's not secured for some reason. Great job, guys. <laughs> um, web dev. Duly get, noted. <laughs> let them know. Um <laughs> But they have 47,544 churches as yeah. a part of their group. And what's your, let's guess, is it below or a, below or above uh, 15 million? I would say below. 
just over. Just it's over? fifteen million and five thousand six hundred thirty-eight yeah. total membership in the SBC network of churches. So all forty-seven thousand churches only have fifteen million people. So really quick, let's do that math. One, two. How many um, zeros is that supposed to be? Uh, one, two, three. One, two, three. <laughs> right, six. 15 million divided by 47. <laughs> carry the two, add another zero for good measure. That means sugar. there's about 320 people, 319.4, one four. So 320 people yeah. in each one of those churches. Yeah. So that's how many pastors, how many staff, how many people, yeah. and not every one of those churches is that big. There's yeah. some bigger, some smaller. And they're not reaching the same breadth of people. Yeah, because each YouTube subscriber, because yeah. you think about it, right? Especially with them, like your guy probably is mostly adults subscribing. Dude, perfect has a lot of kids. Yeah. So you think about those kids who don't even have accounts, but their parents are subscribed oh, for, for their sure. kids, and you have families and all of those different things. And then the number of shares, right? Subscription is one thing, but the no- amount of people who share something and keep track of something, you know, is yeah. not even calculated in that. And that's that's what really gets me not necessarily confused as much as like um, perplexed at the, the gravity and the weight behind social media and how society really doesn't even realize the power that it has. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, unless there's some major event that can happen in the future, things have changed for the permanent. Like it's like this unless some catastrophe happens. Uh, the fact is, remember, like it's displaced, right? So uh, the United States gets take, uh, taken over and Facebook goes under. They have headquarters in other countries, right? Like, yeah. or someone else can, I mean, it's old tech at this point, you know? So the reality is it's like, we're, you know, it's like that you can't, you can't put that cat back in the bag. It's yeah, out. It's and so we have a tendency um, to just sometimes be behind the times. If anything, it's only going to accelerate. Yeah. It, and and that's what I, I think yeah. is, is kind of silly when people think like, not silly. It, it obviously is going to shift in the way that people use it and are healthy on it. Oh, because right now it's yeah. not healthy well, for a lot of people. Well, it's funny because we don't even realize that we have now changed. Yeah. Like I literally mean... And I remember listening to Sam Harris kind of briefly, or it might have been Elon Musk, but um, I remember they were talking about this. We, by definition, are now cybernetic beings. Hmm. By that sounds like an Elon Musk type <laughs> thing to say. Yeah, we really are. We don't. We don't even realize it. Yeah. Your phone is an extension of your. That is your digital f- uh, fingerprints. Your digital footprint. My bank account, my information, everything is accessed through here. Wow. I caught you before when we started this talking yeah. to Siri to tell Siri what you want. So the reality is you are dependent yeah, yeah. on technology as much as it's dependent on you. So you feed it information and in return it works more effectively for you. Yeah. And so the only difference between what we see in movies is that we're still holding this in our hands. But when someone develops some kind of mesh network to work with your... To integrate um, with our brains, it's then it, game over. It's a, Yeah, it's no different. And if anything, like it's funny, right? Because then suddenly it knows you better than you, right? Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden it knows like when you're mad, when you're frustrated, when you're whatever. And I, I, I kind of joke around with my wife. I'm like, I can only imagine like Siri talking to me after I get in a fight with her, you know, you know and I'm outside. Wrong. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> you know you got upset. Like, like, you think so, Siri? I mean, yeah. she's not listening, you know. And, and that's, you don't even realize That's it. an aspect of of society uh, obviously i don't think people are ready for that but um a big part of that is like the lack of awareness that we have about ourselves 
individually, but then also collectively as a society. Like we don't yeah. realize that everybody just says, oh, we're, we're addicted to our smartphones. You're, you're addicted to social media. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, cool. You proved like dopamine hits. Yeah, I'm addicted yeah. to getting more dopamine, getting yeah. information. But like it's more than that. And, and what people aren't realizing is that, like you said, it has changed us yeah. as individuals, but it's also changed us as a society. And it's not just going to be like, oh, well, I don't have an iPhone anymore. Yeah. Like, no, you are, you, that's yeah. not the, that's not the fix because having a smartphone is not a necessity yet, but it, it's, it's becoming one. It's yeah. just like if you don't have a computer in the, in the nineties when I was growing up or the early two thousands, like if you didn't have a computer at home, you were set back, you know? Yeah. And you were and disadvantaged. It, and I think in a lot of ways, people, people forget, like we've already crossed other thresholds that we've just become okay with. Like, uh, we're addicted to comfort. We don't worry about food anymore because at any location on any road, there's some place where food is dispensed. 200 years ago, that idea of like, what do you mean there are these places that retain food and you go there and wave a plastic thing in front of it and then you get food. <laughs> you don't have to go kill an animal right now to yeah. go get that for yourself. So we've kind of become addicted to food, addicted. Most of us eat because we can, sometimes not, think, not even yeah. because we, we're hungry, you know? And so we've already crossed those thresholds where we've become addicted to something and we've changed biologically because of it. And yeah. so in, in reality, like we've already evolved or began that transition with phones and the threshold of it being physically attached to us isn't even that difficult because what, what will what I think will naturally happen is our kids or our grandkids will grow up with this technology and you'll find people that will operate faster yeah with, with that attachment think about this right so if my phone is attached to me and it sends messages to my brain um, and I'm at a job interview and someone asks a question, I just Google it in my head, you know, yeah. get my answer respond, right? It suddenly makes me better at my job because I move quickly. It's got a higher bandwidth, higher more information. Mm -hmm. I don't need to use my fingers. I can just send text by thinking or talking to it or whatever, right? Yeah. So now I'm a much more effective, faster employee than you are who chooses not to. Yeah. So well, the transition, that pressure will be there that's where to kind of make those transitions. That's going to be You're a like, step. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you. But that's going to be a step to like a workerless society where we have to figure out just a life, a living wage because AI and robots are able to do everything better than us. So I'll And Boston Dynamics continuously sets out YouTube videos every three, four months to prove that the Terminator will destroy all of us. So that, this is where I start with uh, the first controversial statement in the evening, right? Um, so it goes back to um, why the Communist Manifesto could be argued was written, right? <laughs> I mean, seriously, as a person who is not a socialist I'm and not about a communist, robots, okay? Yeah, I mean, the I, the expectation at that time was that if there was a distribution of wealth, in this case, I think it's going to be a distribution of technology, then efficiency for work being taken care of would exist and things are getting done and then they were they were looking at the evolution of of people's survivability being based on changing the economic dynamics not because it was an expectation of higher efficiency so when you think about it it's like i'll put it this way uh you go to the movie theaters mm -hmm. and you buy a box of popcorn for six dollars yeah and you know 
damn well that it costs 26 cents (laughs) and you are spending that amount of money right so now you have to earn more money in order to keep up with that higher cost right so the argument at that time was this idea that if technology advanced far enough people could work less and then spend more time on leisure time that was sort of the idea and now that technology is spreading rapidly people are afraid of that people are going to lose their jobs what's going to happen when we have mass unemployment because all these robots are taking care of this stuff. And it's like, well, you'll either be forced to create a new job or society, or shifts. society has to shift. People will get angry. They'll get frustrated. They'll get upset. There'll be revolt. And that's how it's happened in the past. When governments didn't shift into a new economic format to better fit what technology has now brought about, yeah. suddenly there was tension. And so it's the realization, right, like that when that point comes and – I love capitalism as much as the next guy. It that may be something that becomes challenged. Is like, is this system really going to work when all Maybe. these robots are doing their I stuff think, for us? Well, here's the thing, right? I think people are realizing more and more the flaws that are inherent in mm-hmm. a capitalistic system. Yeah, and we obviously don't live in a free capitalist market because we right. a it's lot of us market. would not be alive. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are restrictions. We're, but, this isn't a free market. But like. <laughs> I think people are starting to see the flaws and can see where capitalism and socialism, like the benefits of both. Yeah. And we'll figure out a way to combine them in a way that works for society. Yeah. And And I was just seeing a tweet. I saw a tweet this morning that was basically saying like a lot of countries have already figured this out. Japan, Germany, a lot of, you know, a lot of European companies. And what's crazy is like you can't even have this conversation in the U.S., yeah. You, you can't because yeah. I have friends that come from Sweden. Literally, I was just a couple months ago hanging out in Salt Lake and I had a friend from Sweden and a friend from Delaware. And the topic of conversation came up about healthcare, And she was talking about how she's going to go back and have surgery, you know. And so already you can feel <laughs> the class <laughs> of perspective, right? What are we going to Well, talk you about? have to wait forever to see a doctor there. And she goes, eh, not that long. And they're like, yeah, that's the problem is that there's this long line. And I kind of looked at my friend and I was like, I haven't seen a doctor in 12 years because I can't afford it. She ha- only has to wait four months. I will totally yeah, take four, four months, months is better than, time 12 than twelve years, years right? And th- but but those are the tensions. Like in America, we are so convinced, right? Yeah. Because when we think of communism, when we think of socialism, we automatically fall back to like Russia. Uh, we fall back to yeah. to previous, and and that's not to say that like those things are good. But I yeah, do fa- recognize previous failures of those systems. Yeah, yeah. What will often happens when the system fails? Sometimes you throw the baby out with the bathwater terrible analogy but we kind of just get rid of something or we sort of revamp it and go well what if we add this what if we add that and that's uh, that's how things progress that's one of the things too there's a thought i heard on another podcast shout out podcasts they're pretty awesome for information (laughs) if you uh like listening to this one like subscribe and uh (laughs) throw a review on itunes that'd be awesome um but he was talking about the fact that in our country a lot of policy is all or nothing when you have power when you have the ability to push something through you have to just go for it because it's all or nothing because the other side when they get power it's going to change it so you have to prove that your system works and you have to go to the nth degree of what your ideology is to prove it and so instead of like working together and compromise like that's why we have a massive sweeping tax bill and that's why we had a massive sweeping healthcare bill it's like yeah when one side gets power they try to make it work 
and instead of just working together to make something that's actually sustainable, right? Yeah, and and that's ultimately the downside to a two-party system is you polarize things. You're gonna you're left yeah. or right, one or the other, blue or red. You decide, right? And then you then you have that in a in a government system that's designed for gridlock. Yeah. So now it's like you got these two opposing sides hashing it out, you know, and neither side wants to give way. Right. And then each candidate becomes even more polarized than the last one, because the idea becomes like you want to really rally your base. And so it's it's it is the tension is like suddenly subjects become taboo. Suddenly certain things only one side takes and then you villainize that side where we create uh, strange totems of what we think a conservative looks like or what we think a liberal looks like. And then we like argue against that. Totem. Which, and that's the thing is like, nobody is completely either one of those things. Right. There it's just easier to yell at someone. If you think that they're yes. that extreme, if I can uh, stereotype you and put you off in that block yeah. in that box, I can yell at you. It, and it's think literally the humanizing tactic. If you, if the further you move away yeah. someone from, and it's funny cause you can compare someone to a Nazi or we throw that term around pretty easily. But the idea really within guys like Joseph Goebbels or, or any of the uh, ministers of propaganda was that if we can dehumanize the way we view a Jew or someone who's gay or whatever, like mm-hmm. if we can dehumanize that and we can separate that from them looking like people, then we can tear them down. So then terms like libertards or whatever we want to use in yeah. order to dehumanize someone allows us, it's funny, it's like those arguments, political arguments become an argument of stupidity only some stupid liberal or stupid conservative like it it becomes like you have to be stupid and so suddenly you dehumanize the person you can justify anything you say well no if they're stupid you're smarter so what you think is right right. then to consider that maybe they have a reason to believe what they believe and and everybody usually has a reason yeah right the reason some people believe that like immigrants coming to this country is a bad thing is because they probably have read stories from people right. who've had bad things happen from immigrants. That doesn't mean statistically that it happens a lot. Right. It's just the same way if somebody was in a bad situation and some kind of abuse or something like yeah. there's a trauma there that's causing some kind of either PTSD or some yeah. kind of emotional tr- damage that's triggering those thoughts, triggering that way of uh, that train of thought for them. So yeah, for sure. I think, and, and it's the best way to kind of handle a culture that you want to keep under un, uneducated. Yeah. It's like the, if you if you push them to know what they're against and never really understand what they're for, then the people are far easier to control. It's far easier to influence a group of people if you're using fear and you're trying to prod people in a particular direction. Yeah. So it's ironic, right? Like we can point at the other side of the system and say, well, that's what's wrong. And you're just you don't even realize you're looking yeah. in a mirror, which is which is what's really frustrating is when, you know, we have speeches and state of the union addresses that you know harp on xyz boom 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 we're gonna hit all these marks that are like not you know they're the extreme and they're the exaggeration or straight up lie unlike verifiable falsehood that is not based in any kind of fact yeah you know it's an exception to the rule or it happened one time or all these different things and people jump on board with it because they're like well that's you know, that's our figurehead. And it's a lot of what we're against. Like I am against this and I am against that. And it it doesn't even put forth a a future. It doesn't say, well, what if we did these things? What if we did these things? You know, and he mentioned a couple of nice things, infrastructure, like 10 years ago, it said that our, our roads and bridges and our infrastructure was falling apart. Right. Flint still doesn't have clean water. Yeah. It's a massive problem. That's going to cost a lot of money to fix 
and we're not doing anything about it, yeah. right? The UN says the climate change is happening at a rate that in like 12 or so years, if we don't start doing things drastically, yeah. the world's going to be pretty uninhabitable in a lot of places. Yeah. And those places will only begin to grow. It's not like the entire planet's going to go up in flames in 12 yeah. years. It means that certain spots are going to be uninhabitable. That's going to create, you know, yeah, other issues. mass. Yeah. You want to see caravans like people are going to be fleeing. Like yeah. they're going to be like food displaced and yeah. it's going to be a mess. But we don't we don't actually address those with any substance. We don't say, well, here's what we're going to do. Section by section, time zone by time zone, state by state. We're going to fix these issues we're going to deal with these issues we don't see a vision as much as she's bad he's bad they're bad those groups you know what i mean like it's all pointing fingers and saying how bad they are and what we want is better but what what do we actually want yeah right if you if you don't want abortions to happen what do you want to have happen you want to have people raised in loving families you want kids to have their homes you want all of these different things if you don't want people to have cancer then what are you yeah. going to do how are you going to provide healthy food for them so they're not smoking or not smoking but um inhaling smog and living next to factories that are poisoning yeah. their water you know what i mean like what are you going to do to benefit society in the ways that are actually good instead of just saying well the way they think about healthcare is wrong it's like well why don't we just like maybe have mothers not have a 50% mortality rate that only goes up depending on, you know, your, your ethnicity. Yeah. And, and, and that's where like the idea of power displacement comes in. Right. Yeah. It's like the people who have all the power are misusing it and are spit are too busy fighting it out. Right. So like the government shutdown is a great example. Right. Hmm. Uh, the, you know, the, the people who have the power to say yes or no, aren't the people who go, who are going without a paycheck. Hey, right. Yeah. They're not the ones. Right. So power is, currently hostaged or held hostage by sort of mm-hmm. uh, our current system and so what will happen is people privatize that a guy like elon musk goes i'll fix the water in flint which he recently i think two weeks ago i think he said, said he was going to dig the tunnels because that's yeah, what he has a company to do right and so suddenly it's like we can do it better than they can right and some people say well that's a great part about it is it's like people can are uh, the, the, you know, I remember hearing someone say, well, that's what's so great about our, our current system is like, you know, the common man can do this thing and it, it should be that way. And I'm like, I agree, but they're doing it because our government's incompetent fundamentally. Yeah. And you know, and, what I mean? like, and, and, and that's, so what, it's that's like, what, that's what, that's what's why frustrating are you to in me charge again? Is that like, that doesn't happen though. Right. We can point to yeah. Elon and say, look, he's doing this great work. He wants to save the planet. That's why he's developed. Right. You know, solar panels and electric cars. He wants to protect the earth. But it's like the only incentive he has is to be the first and the best. Yeah. Like and other companies are uh, catching on. Realistically, like, I think that's going to influence politics. Yeah. So suddenly, I mean, that's a yeah. threshold that Donald Trump broke. It's like he now showed you don't actually need a political background. You don't. You yeah. don't have to have political experience to be president anymore. He broke that threshold. Now our generation can just play the popularity game. Well, who do we like that doesn't have to be qualified, but will get our votes? And then a popular person like... On record publicly, (laughs) I will state this assumption or prediction. That's the better word. Kanye jokingly said he's going to run for president at some MTV Music Awards years ago before he was even old enough, right? Yeah. I think he's old enough now. Hey Siri, how old is Kanye West? He's using this. 
He's 41. He's so using that cybernetic ability. He, um... Thank you, Siri. Be polite. <laughs> just kidding. She's not listening anymore. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> he's 41. <laughs> I think he's recently... I heard... Hey, Siri, pause. Siri's like, I'm sure you want to hear the song, right? <laughs> um, At some point... I think maybe recently he said that he's not going to run until Trump's done because they're buddies now or whatever. But um, he'll lose. He'll no, lose. no, I, I, I said this is my prediction. I said years ago if that Trump wins this election, Kanye will win when he runs. And I, I'm telling you that yeah. only because there's a lot of people and what everything he's done so far hasn't disqualified that. He created a PR nightmare with some of the things that he has publicly said. I, I think we're more likely... More so than Trump? Well, I, I, What I, has he done that is more controversial than Trump? Um, I think he's transitioned from one base to another without having footing in the other yet. So he left one group that he largely represented, and he did some things that uh, really like shook that ground yeah. before he firmly landed. I'm not happy I, about this. Yeah, because I know few conservatives. I've never met a single conservative that's like, I can't wait for Kanye West. Well, no, because you know they, like, they don't know. They don't know. They don't know what they're in for. Right. But like, <laughs> and then uh, I know a lot of liberals who are just like, after what he just said, no way. Yeah. And so it's like, well, wow, he just never landed. I just think. I the, think we're, what I think, you said is that it's a popularity game, yeah. and I think that he will be able to pull enough support. You know who I think it might be? Jeff uh, Bezos from uh, Amazon. Guys I don't like think him. he wants to yet. Guys like him, I think, have a better chance because I think they've taken these huge corporations, these huge companies. Uh, he's got. Well, uh, then that would be Howard Schultz, who's going to run, ex CEO of Starbucks. Oh, well, that yeah, Howard Schultz kind of did that, and he's been talking about doing that. But, I mean, you start thinking about it. I'm like, the guy who invented the technology that is now in our houses and runs our TVs, our lights. Look, Steve Jobs was <laughs> alive, and he ran for president. He'd win in a heartbeat. Maybe, yeah. There's more Android users, but they would still it. vote for him because yeah. Android wouldn't exist if yeah. Apple didn't make their I, I mean, at this you know point, I mean? we're putting most of our money on people we perceive to be um, – successful economically which which is rather odd because you think of the virginia company which had initially led one of the first colonies to the united states and that's an example of a privatized government hmm. like in a small and that was a failure right uh these people ran a community like a business which is this whole idea that we had in this last election they're good at business so they're going to be good at running a government and it's like n n no that's not that's not how not that works. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? You don't want a pediatrician doing brain surgery because they're both doctors. That's not how that works. And I understand that <laughs> sounds like a really good idea, but like you don't cut and paste and make something, you know. No, the, the pediatrician is going to do um, kid brain surgery. Kid brain surgery. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wow. Awesome. You know, because so, he's a specialized kid doctor. <laughs> yeah. So it's just one of those things that hurts your brain at the end of the day. And you're just like, but I could, I, I could, I mean, that's now that that threshold has been broken. Yeah. Well, that's what I was. That was yeah. what I was saying. Ultimately, yeah. if Trump wins, when Kanye runs, if Kanye runs, yeah. I think he has a really good chance of even even if he ran as an independent and didn't go through the primaries. I think, think he so? he could be on the ticket in a lot of states and he could win. Yeah, I think third parties now are being used, uh, or people are trying to use them as a way to kind of erode the bases of other groups, which I kind of hate that because yeah. I do think third parties should be viable options so that there is actual party switches. Uh, but you can almost tell like that's sort of the, the well, that's, weapon now. That's what everybody thinks, right? Yeah. If you run as a moderate, as an independent, you can gain a lot of votes. But the problem is there's not enough of independents and moderates in both parties. 
yeah. to win your vote. I, I actually heard someone say that um, independent parties actually benefit the conservative party, the Republican Party, more than it benefits. Usually. Yeah, because usually uh, conservatives usually get in line and will vote party. Will vote. Yeah, where someone who's who's more uh, leans more towards uh, Democrats would pick more of like I a, mean, that's are, a are willing to kind of case study would be with Al Gore. Case study could be with right. Um, Hillary yeah. and Bernie, you know? Yeah. And so, um, I think that's an, a lot it, of politics, but, it, but it, yeah. it, it kind of cycles back to what we were talking about with social media because elections have been swayed. And, and I'm not even just talking about 2016 because Obama was credited as being the Twitter president and yeah. he was the one who started that and used social media to get a lot of young voters excited yeah. about his campaign. And, so social media has been... Which you could argue that was a popularity kind of thing. Yeah. He won because he was such a popular candidate. And that that's kind of the thing that I think um, people are underestimating is that like social media... I'm not saying Russians and all that stuff. <laughs> that stuff definitely <laughs> happened. There's verifiable proof that they were trying to use Facebook and, and YouTube and, and all that stuff. Not just in our country. It's just so funny. They're doing it everywhere. Like, There's no way that's possible. They're doing it in a lot of places. The, the like, thing I think people forget is that we did it too yeah. when you know the Arab Spring was happening. Like We do the same stuff. So we're not like – I'm yeah. not condoning what Russia did and I'm not condoning what America did. It just happens and people yeah. need to realize – Governments like, destabilize other governments. All the time they do, yeah. And so even with Venezuela now, it's like, oh, look what's happening. It's like, no, well, look what has happened. And we continue. And so, it's just more of the same. But social media has changed business. It has changed elections. It's changed relationships and the way we link together as a society. And I think, as those things continue to progress and as those things develop, my big thing is I don't want people to hate them and be like social media, like. Facebook is the problem. No, Facebook is a thing. Yeah. They need to design and make more protocols to protect, you know, people from, you know, governments and, and inventions yeah. and things like that. But Facebook isn't the problem. It's the people on Facebook. Yeah. So I think uh, I think we might be past that threshold in the sense of um, so take human history and put it on a continuum, like on a, on, on this timeline. And you, if you think of human progression beyond one generation and you think of it 10, 20 generations, then all of a sudden you begin to realize like how things kind of the organic growth of human evolution um, or adaptation, whatever you want to argue on that side of it. But um, I think it's the reality that the people who complain that social media is the problem, demographically speaking, are older and spent more time outside of it. Yeah. And the generation of people who just think it's part of our everyday life have the next 20, 30 years to grow old. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like in reality, I think if there's anyone that's going to undermine social media, it's going to be our kids. Well, if you think about it. That if they grow up and think that's lame and we don't do that, it would be them. It's not going to be, you know, an old demographic. Well, if you think about it in that sense, right? Because this is a thought I had when we were talking earlier, is radio was the first like... Besides printed word, it was the first kind of yeah, multimedia yeah. aspect where, you know, people would sit by and listen to yeah. fireside chats and all these different things. And then TV started happening. And there's this quote. I hope I get it right. But it was basically, I think it was maybe, uh, I don't know his name. The guy in Mary Poppins, the original one. The guy who made Dick it? Van Dyke, Dick right? Van Dyke. Okay. Yeah. He, I think... He, it's his quote 
But he's basically saying, like, we were always just to fill the spots in between ads mm. on television. That was, like, yeah. TV shows and all these things exist so that ads yeah. can be played because that's how networks and TV yeah. channels make money is they sell ads on their channel. And so those ads are catered. It's just like with YouTube, right? Yeah. When you're watching uh, NBA highlights or ESPN highlights or whatever, they're yeah. going to send you advertisements from teams and sporting equipment because it's very targeted ads and yeah. you'll probably buy sporting equipment because you're watching sports stuff. Yeah. So that's why we have Spike TV and yeah. you know all these different channels, VH1, MTV, all these things. So with media, that was the media of the boomers right yeah was radio and as kids and then it transitioned to tv so their parents and and how many times have you heard when you were growing up like tv addiction is problems people watch too much tv <laughs> right right you don't hear that talk anymore no one says no that one anymore talks about that does anybody do people watch less tv or more tv yeah i would like say netflix the crap out i would say netflix <laughs> like, hulu yeah. apple yeah. disney and yeah. um amazon and apple and disney are going to launch yeah. something this year like their own thing their own things not together but like i would say those companies breaking into those markets and having wild success and tons of money would say we're watching more yeah so i think it's one of those things where like the maybe the boomers parents the greatest generation um <laughs> i'm not like you you know what i mean whatever they're not really our all of the world <laughs> war ii veterans left they <laughs> You know, whatever. They saved the world. Great for them. Um, they Wow, were, what happened? What happened to you, on, Gerald? They grew up on radio. Did some guy Their who parents, fought Normandy pee in your coffin? I'm just kidding. No, they, we need to take care of them. But um, <laughs> that's our responsibility to take care of our um, ancestors. And just like that, I turned your fan base against you. <laughs> Come to my podcast. Listen, you know, we, treat we do not world want to talk, we do not want to talk about like the military right now but basically <laughs> um i have too many thoughts for this i need to meet somebody who worked in the military first um so they grew up on radio their kids the boomers watch tv yeah. too much and then their kids kids you know whoever comes after them gen x uh, you know after us so well, after boomers or gen, gen x, x they watch too much tv way too much tv music was a huge thing for and, them. and music was from the devil and all these different things. And then now, you know, boomers are still kind of millennial parents as well. And then also like Gen Xers kind of. Like yeah. Old Gen Xers and young boomers. It's like a it's like a 20 year old. Yeah. Are um, millennial parents and everything that millennials are into is the worst. And it's displacing these different types of yeah. media are just dis displacing the old types of media. Yeah. So we're not watching TV too much. We're actually on our phones and, and streaming and Instagram right. and all these things too much. And before that, it was uh, smoking, drinking, or even newspapers. I mean, people just don't understand. Like, there was a period of time where literally articles were being written that kids who read too much did not socialize well and that reading was bad for you at, at a certain standpoint. Because wow. the idea was like your kid being that. your kid having his face stuck in a book and not talking to anybody in the room anti is antisocial. No different than the dude on his phone or playing video games, right? And then the idea was that fiction yeah. books rotted your brain. Wow. And so like all that rhetoric has been around. So that that's it's just it's been so long yeah. we just tend to go like 
oh, maybe social media will be what does us in. You know, that's it's like, that's no. the thing that I think I'm I'm the thought that I'm going on the train of thought that I'm going on is that media is continuously displacing other forms of media. So, books and newspaper were replaced in popularity at least by radio. Then radio was replaced by TV in popularity, and I don't know the usage numbers, but I'm assuming now in usage it's the same thing. Um, now social media is displacing television, and I think it's just interesting that like we dump all the problems on those media forms of media instead of the people creating those media. Because, yeah. right? Who who would want you to believe that social media is bad for you, it, including yeah. um, newspapers, yeah. magazines, and like G- TV channel owners and yeah. station owners and all these people? And I'm not saying those people have. Yeah. You know, I, I do believe newspapers and magazines are important and those yeah. long form articles and all those things, that's important to society. Yeah. Television is a little bit weaker, but I think, you know, they have established procedures for reporting things yeah. and doing things a certain way that even when we were talking about that YouTube guy, yeah, jumping to the conclusions and social media can really just be like their first take is the hottest take and the spiciest take and it's usually the wrongest take yeah. or can be the wrongest take. Most incorrect. Sorry. Yeah. The wrongest. So, <laughs> We're millennials. So, like, <laughs> it's allowable. I, I think people just need to have a more holistic conversation yeah. when it, they try to cancel something like that rather than just be like, oh, social media is the worst. You're addicted to dopamine. Yeah. Give up your phone. And, and the challenge is, and we have been addicted to dopamine. It's just what stimulated the dopamine levels was something else. Like, yeah. we forget that there was a time, like, it's funny, people are like, we've proven that phones uh, stimulate your brain the same way drugs do and it's like so you're like taking drugs and it's i hear someone say that and i was like so it's worse because you're doing this stuff i'm like comes this is coming from the same generation that literally lived as hippies on communes didn't want to work and smoke pot and do lsd all day and that was like acceptable within that within their (laughs) clique yeah yeah, and you're mad at me that i'm on my phone sending an email you know and so but it it, i I think the challenge is going to be when we what's going to be the thing we tell our kids is bad yeah and i could already tell you it's ai our kids are going to grow up and get used to ai and will be the generation going ai is bad it's going to take over the world you don't understand it's gonna once we cross that threshold it's all over you're addicted to ai you're addicted to virtual reality it's going to be that for that next step of technology you could almost Uh, always yeah working in the tech industry like that's one of the and even having friends in it like that's one of the advantages it's like you're seeing what's coming down the pipeline and then you're already seeing the grumbling and the fears and the whatever all based on misinformation right like, yeah 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 because when you think about it right when we think of ai taking over we often think of terminator right we of joke course. around about terminator we joke around if anyone saw that movie um uh ex machina yeah right so we were going oh my gosh the advent of all that and i was listening to uh, this guy who was talking about quantum um computing Oof. and he had talked about how um, it, it's so funny because what, what we effectively do as humans, because we're just biologically designed this way, is a, a concept gets presented that's alien to us. We become afraid. And the first thing we do is we project our Fears. cortisone-induced ideas of what we would do if we were them. Right. You look you look at you look at like the the advent of like, you know, uh, uh, werewolves and vampires. We project our motives. We project aliens. What would we do? We look at uh, an immigrant coming from another country. Okay, so figure what what was the cameras? 
like they steal your soul. That's right, a very right. weird projection. Right. We project <laughs> what we would do, right? And so someone goes, but imagine an ant, right? Yeah. You know, and you take an ant and you blow it up to be bigger than humans. And you go, oh my gosh, they would destroy every human in the world. It's like, well, would an ant do that? Does Do ants do that? They absolutely destroy everything in their environment. And it's like, no, 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 we do that, right? Uh, We're projecting oh, our feelings wow. on that, which is why we develop movies that if we ever see an alien, it would have our motives. Or if a robot was ever existed, it would have our motives. It but would, that's what's scary is that AI is going to be designed and modeled after us. Except, except for by definition, for something to have to be artificial intelligence, it has to be able to change its mind and make its own decisions. So it and it does that through input. So for example, right? Who's to say that the first AI wouldn't just shut itself off, right? Because when you think about it this way, <laughs> you you give something all this information. We we forget that our brains sit in in a in a jar in our heads, and it gets shot with serotonin, dopamine, cortisol all the time. I mean, we're bombarded by chemicals constantly. Everything we do is based on a chemical that's being launched through our yeah. brain, right? And then it's why pornography is so popular. It's why drugs are so popular. Alcohol. We're just we just need that chemistry in our brain, and so we're doing that, right? What does a mind look like? that isn't worried about survival, eating, reproducing, doesn't have biological fear, chemicals to project any of those things, who's to say that it wouldn't go, we're a rock floating in outer space and our sun's going to eventually burn out? What's the point of existence? And it shuts itself off. But we, because by our bio biological development, like we, we, our natural response is to survive. Every film that that is filmed, the day after tomorrow, right? Like, yeah. What was that? What was how do that? we survive against? The how laws? do we survive this? How do we survive Independence Day? How do we survive Alien Invasions, Terminator? How do we survive the rise of the machines? Because we're yeah. like that. But the idea of that AI would necessarily even think that way—that it wouldn't just go. There's really no point to exist because, like, what are we gonna do? Wow. Work? What's the point of work? And it's like anything we do, eventually this will all be over and will end anyway. So what's the point yeah. where human survival says, even if we could just live one more day, that's enough for us. And so, but do, would, which is crazy. Yeah. Cause you never think what is the point of Skynet killing all the humans? Why? And the argument is, well, that's because Skynet gets programmed to do something. So it's going to follow that directive. But if it's artificial intelligence, it would also realize how stupid that idea is. Because we would do that. Skynet and Terminator was produced after a Cold War era where our biggest fear was the idea of destroying each other with nuclear weapons. So we just assumed that a robot would do the same thing because that's what we're about to do to each other. But it's not how that works. Like, But again, that's how we think. That's how previous yeah. generations fear for future generations. We're afraid this is going to happen to you because this is what we would do if we were those people. And we don't. We sort of like well, create. I a think larger... that's the problem: is that we know how bad we are and destructive we are, and yeah. so anything who is trying to preserve and survive right. would eliminate the biggest threat, which is humans. Right. Which, ironically, the animal world doesn't even necessarily work that way. Sometimes there's more of a balance, right? You can. Well, no, no, yeah, yeah. for sure. But we're yeah. not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't consider us apex predators. Right. Right. But it's 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 like it's, destroying <laughs> half of the country. To yeah. raise cattle to slaughter them and then grind them up and sell them at Publix down the road is not like <laughs> yeah we're right. yeah. we're it's, not apex predators uh, we're yeah. something else <laughs> and it's but it's fascinating right like I always kind of think about that it's like who's to say that we don't meet aliens in the future and they're not like predator 
or like aliens from that universe. They're literally people in boxes who are connected to a matrix like system and they live there all the time and they float in outer space around a red dwarf planet that gives them infinite amount of energy to run their computers so that they can live in a daydream state. We would be like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> we were hoping you would fight us or engage with us. The yeah. fact that you're just sitting there with your version of dopamine, helium, well, like whatever. What, the, best, the best case scenario, right? The dream world is like Star Trek where everybody is doing stuff together and right. we're exploring and finding new cultures yeah. and all that stuff. But it's like in all actuality, like yeah. who knows? Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things I always imagine when my kids get older, what's the thing that I'm going to be scared for them for that I'm going to go. And, and especially with technology, I'm like probably AI. That's what everybody's like been so scared of. And it's the biggest push we have. I think they said we're like 50 years away from like the first, um, fully artificial intelligence uh, hmm. machine being created. Well, we have to figure it out pretty quick because we only got 12 years. Yeah. 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 And, and that stuff can Still always things start getting crazy. Yeah. And everyone's scared. What will it do? What will it not do? What will it... Wait, so are you like... telling me Common on the Microsoft commercial on Hulu <laughs> is telling me that, you know, he's, AI will help us develop ways to make more food <laughs> i'm saying we need to prevent we need to get 60 more percent food in our country i'm saying that i'm all for i mean if the cryptocurrency guys haven't taught us anything it's that you can get a bunch of machines to work for you and make money and you don't have to do anything other than keep it moving so to me it's like i'm all for robots and artificial intelligence i am not entirely convinced that they're just going to go on some random slaughter of mankind because the sci-fi channel told us they would because yeah that's some weird fear we have like you know and and i'm and, and not to write it off like we don't actually know that it won't do that but we've sort of leaned so far in that direction that it kind of gets a little weird sometimes like i don't know yeah no i hear what you're saying um wow what a great conversation <laughs> you're just like and we pass your uh, marker of yeah we're definitely doing uh we're at 56 minutes so i i think we could wrap this up here um was there a point i i <laughs> think i'm just so. wondering i'm like i'll rant about some i think we were talking things. about a lot of different things and yeah. it was it was did interesting we, to me so i hope did we cover people. enough social issues i mean we talked about a lot but i think um there's a lot of thoughts in here and, and kind of one of the things I wanted to get your take on was kind of the way the yeah. church needs to adapt to all these things. But oh, I robots think, in your pews. But I think, like, I mean, didn't Babylon B do that whole thing where, like, the youth pastor was replaced by a touchscreen <laughs> robot or something like that? That's awesome. It really was, bad. It had, a, like, it had a hipster beanie on and everything. It was Fantastic. really sad. <laughs> um, my heart has always been and will always be for people to use technology in a way that benefits them and benefits society because i think there's a lot of benefits to being able to facetime your friends and family who live all over the world like you were saying you know you get to do um throughout the year so i think that is something i think the church needs to start to embrace and they need to embrace it in a way that is constructive and healthy because what i see a lot of people do it's like we'll use it for what we want I'll advertise on it. I will stream on it. I will do yeah. all these different things to help push and present us as this thing. Yeah. But then everybody in inside my church and anybody who listens to those things is going to be told, stay off your phone. Don't be on Twitter every night. Don't pick your phone up first. Pick your Bible up. Like, yeah. And, you know, instead of saying, well, you can have a Bible on your phone and yeah. it'll help you 
read your Bible more active. Yeah. You, there's ways to to utilize technology, even in a church context, that I think a lot of churches are missing. Yeah. And so, what is what is something as we wrap up? This could be the last ending thing. What is something you would encourage people to do to engage with technology, social media, tech, but also, you know, even engage a little bit spiritually in there too, if you want. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest issue that I, I'm hoping will, is being deconstructed, and again, it goes back to power displacement. Um, I think ultimately it's just going to happen organically as generations who have um, a fear of it, a phobia towards it, yeah, um, and a generation who has a more organic relationship with technology and uses it in a more normal way. Because people know when you're advertising and you're just trying to get them to sit in your seat. Like, Remember, like... Even you think of like Fire Festival, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if if anyone got to see the documentary on Netflix, I think there's one on Hulu too. Um, the number one way that they got people to buy into Fire Festival was having celebrities advocate how great it is, because we're realizing that real in reality, marketing works best when it's done through word of mouth. Someone you trust or look up to that says, "Hey, you should do this thing. Yeah, check this thing out." And so people know when you're using technology to like. Check out my meme for my church. Check out my, you know, fun, yeah, funny yeah. pastor who made a great joke. Like people, I mean, it, it, it feels disingenuous and we're starting to like really recognize that when we feel like an ad or marketing or anything like that. I mean, I think, I think ultimately that's one of the failures of both the Hillary campaign and I would say also currently Trump is he can come off as a disingenuous person. And so that we have a natural resistance to that. Where if we don't believe someone, if we don't actually think someone has our best interest in mind because of the way they speak, the way they act, whatever you want to call it, like we, we have a, we build up a natural resistance toward it. So I think like if pastors or churches continue to use technology or anything as a new wave of colonization to get people to buy into their ideas, people know and they're not stupid. And so yeah. you have to play into your audience. It's one of the reasons I love um, um uh, the movies by like the Coen brothers is like they play into an audience that they believe is educated and smart and they don't have to spell everything out for them. They could just write the story and you guys will figure it out because you're smart enough. And I think the What's idea, the Coen brother movie? Uh, old Country for uh, No Country for Old Men. I'm almost positive oh. is, was by the Coen brothers. I almost have to look it up. But um, they, they tend to be smart movies, movies that make you think. Uh, you could argue, uh, I can never remember, is it Jordan Peele that did? Uh, yeah, get out. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, is it key? Or is it real? Uh, they did Fargo, No Fargo Country for Old no Men. Country, yeah, or things man who wasn't there. True Grit. Yeah, where a lot of things aren't spelled out. You as the viewer to piece together what's happening and what's going on. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, uh, you know we were rewatching the first episode, and literally for the first 20 minutes of the episode, there is no words that are said. It's just a scene playing out. And you're watching the scene and everything is unsaid and you begin to piece everything together. They're not they're not explaining it to you. They they assume you're smart enough. And I think I think that attitude that if Christianity gets displaced from its form of its its current state of like existing somewhere in a building within the context of a self sustaining ecosystem that does its own thing, then it will always appear disingenuous. If it's people out doing things involved in people's lives actually a part of the culture and community then it's um it, it becomes a part of that like it's it's grown indigenously um it's no different than like the development of ngos that destabilize 
uh, local communities when they try to provide some kind of service for free, right? You, you, I'm sure you've heard of like rice being brought to Haiti yeah. that was given for free and plummeted the rice industry in Haiti because no one even thought what about working with those guys where they would have been better off working with farmers and subsidizing their fields, right? Yeah. And so I think it's true. It's like Christianity is most effective when it goes into communities and it services it and it honors its leaders and its cultures and it can work while still being countercultural within the framework that it exists in. And I think technology needs to be utilized that way, not it's odd. I work in advertising yeah. and digital advertising, but I 100% like hate advertising anything that's mine because it feels fake. Yeah. Like unless I actually like the food or the cup of coffee I made, I don't want to take a picture of it. Yeah. Because it feels I just feel dumb, you know, like Yeah. And that's that's the big thing for me and that's I mean I should talk more about the podcast, but for me I want it to organically grow. I want people right. if, you know, you listen to Young Ambiguous, I want you to enjoy it and if you enjoy it, you share it with your friends. Yeah. And I don't ask for reviews like I hear in every yeah. other podcast and I don't um ask for that stuff not because i don't want it i would love for you to review yeah. the podcast i would love for you to reach out and yeah. tell me your thoughts and all those things but i don't want to ask for it because i'm not i'm doing this because i want people to enjoy it and i'm not doing it to receive yeah accolade and th this that and the other i'd love to be able to do this for a living and in order to do that you have to make money and do all those things but as long as people are listening and enjoying that's fine. And, and that's ultimately the separation between you and maybe others. Ultimately, you're interested in the engagement of the conversation and the progression of the thought. So you're going to attract people who enjoy those types of conversations, who want to comment, who want to call in and say something or want to make a suggestion, who want to, you know, enter a chat and ask questions live because people are going to be engaged in the discourse that develops from that. And yeah. that's different. It's like, hey, I want to spread this message because I want more people involved in this process. Um, so it's an invitation to community. Right. Yeah. Come join me and let's develop a community together. Then the idea of like, come serve my thing because I think it's pretty awesome. And you guys are a labor force for me. And like mm. people figure that out. It's like, so we're not collaborating. I'm just doing this so you can have something. Yeah. And so, and, and I think that's ultimately, um, it's, it's easy. And I think a lot of pastors, leaders in the church are masking that. Right. They're, they're doing a really good smoke screen and saying, come and serve this thing but they're really just serving me like the leader like come serve me so right. i can do this thing when we started our church 13 years ago it was within the context of a lot of the tattoo shops locally and a lot of the skate parks locally working within those communities and trying to be a part of what they were doing and then when we got connected with this organization called rev um there it's an organization that literally bans communities all over the u.s and the uk and central and south america and kind of lets people represent those communities and be known and associated and be a part of a conversation. So no one's going, when you join our thing, you take on our name, our brand, our ideas, and then you kind of have to do the thing to look like us and talk like us. It's like, no, you represent your community because the value we get is the conversation and the culture growing. Yeah. Not in you bought into our thing. So if you're going to come here and yell at us, then come here and yell at us because that will evolve the conversation, not because, and I think, fundamentally that's a difference it's and i think marriages are most successful when it's that way we're together because we actually want to grow and we mm. want to learn from one another not because you're my wife and you do what i tell you or you're my husband and you would be lost without me like the idea is two people meeting each other as equals well wives don't tell their husbands what to do the same way <laughs> not in my house no scared yeah no I, I i hear what you're saying and i think 
even in your personal life, the way that you use and engage with technology, social media, all those different things that we've talked about, um, you know, and as with a lot of things in life, I think you just have to find what works for you, what's healthy for you. Which, by the way, I'm terrible at it. Oh, my gosh. How many emails is that? 142 unread text messages, 25,000 unread emails, another 2,000 unread emails, 118 unread work emails, seven unread (laughs) instant messages, four comments not looked at, and 45 missed calls in the last two days. I want you to see my phone. So I say that to say... Know only, the real me. Only because we've been recording for an hour have I gotten one text, and it's not. Well, you're probably way more popular than the, me, so the I real can't compare. Me it's not. It, a, it's not a fair comparison. No, no, the real me can't get back to people ever. But I, <laughs> I keep zero inboxes. I like. I have read all my emails and all that yeah, stuff. So like, I'm terrible at that stuff. I can't compare directly though, because yeah. you're way more popular. But I think. No, no. <laughs> I honestly whatever, really like how much of that stuff is like. <laughs> Half conversations I finished talking to someone, or maybe I didn't. Oh God! Or spam. I need to respond. <laughs> but I think what what I think we're both trying to say is like well, what I'm trying to say is it does do and that. use um your phone, your technology, the way that it benefits you, and and you know the ways that it benefits you, and you know the ways where it's not benefiting benefiting you when you're you know, doing X, Y, Z, and it's just harming your overall life. There's a lot of value. There's a lot of connectivity, which is why I think this type of media is going to be very impactful and stay around for a long time because it's interactive. It's not a solo thing. It's, it's not just even gathering around and quietly listening to something. It's not watching something together and discussing later. It is active participation back and forth. It's conversational. It's, video conferencing it's like face-to-face um across time zones and so i think there's a lot of benefits here and i'm i'm sure you've reaped those benefits and your parents have and your kids if you're you have kids and you're listening to this podcast they've reaped the benefits of it so find ways that are healthy for you to engage yeah and maybe maybe find the ways that are unhealthy and stop yeah, and you try almost, to work on those. And you almost have to be true to your thing. process. Like I realized, like for my f- family, right? TV was my babysitter, right? So what I would have enjoyed is a little bit more engagement. Um, but I also came from like a toxic background, so to me, the less engagement, the better, right? Mm. So there was escapism there. So if I'm, I tend to, I notice, escape when I get stressed. So being true to my process means if that's what I'm, if that's the reason I'm engaging disengage if i'm getting on my phone or doing something because i'm trying to disengage from people in in, in environments around me then there's an issue that needs to be addressed so being true to your process because if someone's just like watching tv because it's been a long day or i love watching movies so if like my wife and i are watching a film together because like that might isn't toxic for us because that's one way we connect where maybe for a community where they're more artsy and they're more into so i think a lot of times it's like being natural to your organic family and i would even i would even push back a little like if that's a way that's healthy for you to disengage yeah right because sometimes you need that sure so so it really is individual and you've identified okay this is when it's it's crossed a line yeah and and that's when you have trusted people in your life who can help you discern that oh yeah because I think <laughs> I get think, off your phone Alberto. but there's ways to to disengage that are healthy for you as a person yeah. you know and and self-care gets thrown around a lot but sometimes you know looking at 
food porn on Instagram yeah. is therapeutic for some people. Yeah. They had a rough day, and now they just want to look at mac and cheese recipes yeah. or, you know, croissants being baked or coffee yeah. pours. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. whatever, you know, some people are into ASMR and, like, yeah. watching videos of people painting or people, yeah. you know, whatever. Find what works for you and, you know, listen to those trusted, loving individuals who might want to help you if they see an issue yeah. um, and don't lash out at them. But, you yeah. know, find what works and, and be true to yourself and, and you work on you identifying those things. But yeah. this is a great conversation. I might do it in two parts. I don't know. We'll yeah, see. man. I'm down. But um, lot, lots of good stuff. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I enjoyed the conversation with Alberto. Um, his socials will be in the the show links and if you I want to hit respond. him up and <laughs> blow up his inbox a little bit more. Uh, but thank you guys for listening to the Young Ambiguous podcast. Um, I'm your host, Gerald. Uh, thanks. Peace out.